I always like these bits because the the feel free style. But I've actually written down what I'm saying. I've just memorized it now. Hello, you're <laughs> listening to Don't Listen to This podcast all about thousand one albums to listen to before you die, or allegedly should. I'm Ewan Gledo. I'm a journalist, writer, podcaster, oxygen user. Um, do all sorts of stuff at places these days. Um, I don't know when this episode will be out or whether or not I'll have it commissioned, but I, I'm I'm trying to write an article where I eat 30 eggs in a day. It's a long story, but it's <laughs> something I'm really passionate about doing because I really like eggs and I feel like I could eat 30 in a day because there's a boxer that ate 30 in a day to, to train. And, and my argument is if I can eat 30 in a day, I should be in the ring with him. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, as ever, I'm sure you heard the laughter of my lovely guest, Graham Williamson. How are you? Hello there. I'm great. Thank you. Yes. Yep. He caught me off guard that I was having a sip of my lovely... Today's podcast is sponsored by Vive Orange Zero Sugar, which I get in packs of six from Aldi because they're amazing. They're only two okay. calories. It's, it's like Are they one that. of those shops own brand that, that are actually yeah, yeah, better yeah. than oh, the yeah. thing they're ripping off? Oh, yeah. They do yeah. Uh, an orange one, a lemonade, and a tropical island. Which I can recommend Asda's Titan bars for being obviously the same as, but better than Mars yes, bars. Yes, and the um, if you want a good Twix alternative, there are Jive bars which you can get at little, which are they're they're lovely, they're so nice, and this it's not got the sort of family history behind it. You know, you're not having to pick a side with left or right Twix like the adverts did. You can just go yeah, there's unity in that Jive bar. So they're we're, we're basically doing Martin Lewis's job here. You are. We are. We are. I think yeah. Martin Lewis should just next show. It's just you can get jive bars six for a pound. There you go. That'll do. Easy. Um, speaking of easy though, we're here to talk about um, eels, beautiful freaks. Mm, but before yes. we do all that, what have you been listening to recently? I asked more out of interest, but also because I've forgotten to load up all the tabs that I need for this episode. <laughs> but feel free to kill some right. time. Yeah, let me give you quite a long list of what I've been listening to recently. Um, yeah, I listened to the new Tennis album uh, oh, the other day, okay. which is the first, like, is it? No, I, I'd listened to the Slug album before. It's definitely it's one of the first new for 2023 albums I've listened to anyway. Uh, really good. And they're in that stage now where... They obviously have a signature sound. They still have that kind of Carly Simon-ish 70s singer-songwriter sound that they've always had. Uh, but they can do different things with it, and it still sounds like them. They can do a track with slightly heavier, messier guitar like Glorietta. They can do a disco track, and it, it just still has that tennis vibe, and I find it really exciting when a band gets up to that stage. Oh, yeah. Thank you for killing that time. That was perfect. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I think as far as new albums go, this year's been really strong. I mean, I say that coming off the back of listening to the Gorillaz new album, which was about as inspired as sort of puddle water. But oh dear, you know, we we all make mistakes. We you know not everybody gets to use their Stevie Nicks collaborations correctly. Damon Albarn <laughs> is one of them. Um, yeah, but I mean, apart from that, we've had a really good run of music this year. It's been very surprising. Um, so let's shove all that to one side and head back to 1996 because Eels released their debut album Beautiful Freak back then, which is um I'd literally never heard of Eels. Or rather I really? thought I thought I'd never heard of Eels. And a lot of the notes I've made mention Shrek because that's <laughs> remember it from that's where I first heard Eels. Uh, yes. Keynotes, <laughs> which don't mention Shrek, and I saw the insert, which shockingly does not mention Shrek. 
have they failed to, as Richard Herring so often they, exhorts yeah, people to, they have failed to put to. Shrek in it? They have failed to in in just four paragraphs. Nothing, not a word, not a, not a single crumb of Mike Myers' influence. Um, but beautiful freak, nineteen ninety six debut album of Eels, um, made by E Butch and Tommy Walter. Obviously, E was Mark Oliver Everett, and Butch was Jonathan Hayes Norton. Um, the only reason I know that is that I did a bit of digging and research. Um, <laughs> genres that Beautiful Freak falls under, obviously, alternative rock, indie pop, and chamber pop, which is about run of the gauntlet for any album that came out in the nineties. So that'll yes. do it. <laughs> it's if if it had a guitar, it was alternative rock. If it sounded a bit like Britain, then it was Britpop. So that's your run. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll take a quick sip and we'll fire through the uh, the the best part of this podcast, which is the insert, should, of course. Yeah. Should should we delineate this further? Uh, it's American alternative rock yes. if the lyrics yeah. are about how you want to kill yourself, and it's British alternative rock <laughs> if the lyrics are about uh, Mr. Badger's Welk stall. <laughs> <laughs> We've already done Damon Albem bad once this episode. It would be great to do it bad again. Oh, Mr. Quango. What a song. Can't wait to hear that live at Wembley. Just that. Oh, yes. And then I can leave. Um, yeah, it, it is essentially, if it's really upsetting, it sounds a bit Nirvana-y after Kurt Cobain had died, then it's American rock music. Yeah. If it's, you know, oh, I want to go to clubs and have sex with all the bouncers, then it's British pop. So it's it's nice yes. to distort the two. Um, that distortion is kind of made in the insert, which is uh, songs about sadness, loneliness, and despair have rarely sounded more quirky than Beautiful Freak. The debut effort for Eels is a dark treatise for the solitary-minded and makes for headful music par excellence. No, I'm not clear what that means. I can't hear it in both my ears, so it's redundant. Ah, um, right, you're, you're Brian Wilson. I am, yeah. Although I didn't get the right pet sounds, but I would have if he hadn't stolen my ideas. Yes. <laughs> it it was up there, you know. <laughs> um, Though officially a trio, Eels was primarily the brainchild of melodically gifted songwriter E, a moniker short for Mark Oliver Everett, who had seen his share of both of tragedy, he found his father dead when he was 19, and delayed gratification, he had a mildly successful solo career before creating Eels, along with bassist Tommy Walter and drummer Butch Norton. With titles such as Lucky Day in Hell, lines like Life is So Hard and So Am I, Novocaine for the Soul, a surprise UK top 10 hit, and an unsettling album cover featuring a bug-eyed prepubescent girl, Beautiful Freak shares many qualities with a juvenile tongue wag. However, the music and the production of the album is anything but immature. Eels blend orchestral sounds, a church choir, fake crowd noise, guitars split between the right and left speakers, hip-hop beats, spoken word, the static sound of an old record. Because of its wide-ranging soundscape, critics willingly accorded the album rave reviews. Music magazine Q tried to distill the alchemy of Beautiful Freak, saying, Imagine Beck's Baudelaire rhythms, the Beatles' songwriting maturity, Sparkle Horse's simple production, Brian Wilson's visionary editing and arrangements, and you have a complete musical vision, a genre-spanning soundscape that reels you in with its myriad of hooks. Pretty strong. Now, yeah, I mean, I I like this album. I feel that selling it as a a Sparkle Horse, Beatles, Nirvana, Brian Wilson collaboration is maybe overselling it a tiny bit. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, I I mean, I've spoken about Brian Wilson a couple times on this podcast now. And all the albums we've talked about, we managed to leave Pet Sounds to last. Not one of them has made me think, oh, you know what this sounds like? It sounds like E from Eels. Yeah, that's, that's what that is. Oh, yeah. That, that could have gone on the Shrek soundtrack. Um, but speaking of Shrek, which 
obviously we're covering the memories part of the podcast. We we reflect and look yes. back. Um, the only words I've written here are listen to the album less than ten hours ago. Shrek. So I, I wonder if you had more information or memories with this album because you did pick this one, didn't you? I didn't throw this one at you. Oh yeah, and and let's face it, if I didn't have more than that, we'd be absolutely <laughs> fucked, right? Because that's oh, yeah. not much. We could talk about Shrek. I could probably recount the plot. I've seen it that many times. <laughs> um, I'd never made the connection between Heels and Shrek until literally at half twelve last night. It is quite a long-running connection too, isn't oh, it? Because yeah. uh, I do remember seeing the first one, and as one of the Eels' original fans, <laughs> as someone who was into them before Shrek, uh, I nearly fell out of the, my chair at the cinema yeah. when My Beloved Monster came on, and I think one of the later ones has Royal Pain <laughs> in it. Probably, yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. Shrek were very on point with their soundtracks, and I'm sure we'll mention this later on, but Eels are one of the very few bands that have managed to survive the whole our songs in a big hit movie, that's what we'll be remembered for. They managed to sort of overcome that, which is the most important thing an artist can do. Oh yeah, I mean, when you consider what Shrek did to Smash Mouth's career, oh, I think yeah. the Eels definitely had the best uh, deal out of that. They they made off with a nice amount of money. They didn't get to do Rat Race with John Cleese, but that is probably for the best. <laughs> um... Yeah, so so what is it about this? Obviously, you're a pre-Shrek Eels fan, and I'm a post and pre-Shrek Eels fan. Oh, wow. I can't believe we've just invented this as a classification. We've coined yes. it. That's it. That's it there. We've got our Wikipedia page sorted in 20 years' time. To me, the Eels are, and I want to say this without sounding condescending, but they are a comfort band. Yeah. They are a band who I like to turn to when I just want a record that feels like it's hugging you and... Like I think some of their recent stuff's been uh, very good as well. Um, Earth to Dora came out like in the middle of the COVID first COVID lockdown, and that record felt really comforting to listen to then. Uh, but I don't know if these qualities are best showcased by this album, and I think this is one of the things that I was. I was going through a bit of an Eels phase anyway. Uh, I was going through a phase where I was listening to all of my old Eels albums and I thought I could probably turn this into monetizable content, <laughs> which is, is what you do every oh, time you have a pleasant yeah. experience. <laughs> uh, I'll phone you and up. I'll see what one is in the uh, thousand and one albums to listen to before you die. And it's Beautiful Freak, which I don't think is a bad album, mm. but it's... It, it, you know, it wouldn't even be in the top three Ooh. Eels albums that I would have picked out for this. I must have. Yeah, been. because this is this is the only Eels album. And one of the big things about this book that I'm seeing more and more is that a lot of bands are represented. Great, good to see them there, and they're represented by such a strange album of a choice. Like Lana yeah. Del Rey was represented by Kim Trill over the Country Club, which is yeah. not the most. You know, not even the. Even if you think, like, oh, it's not the best, but it's also not the most interesting, because they just happen to be the same one in that instance. Yeah. Um, I think it was Gorillaz. Gorillaz were represented by their debut album, and that was it. And there was nothing kind That's of... That's very no demon weird. days or anything. So the, the more contemporary it gets, the harsher it gets, and the omissions that are then made are stunning. Um, you'll be delighted to know that Richard Hawley has no albums on the list anymore, because... <laughs> because they thought Cole's Corner wasn't as worthy as uh, another Taylor Swift album. I'm not knocking Taylor Swift. I just think 
Evermore. I was going to say, I was going to get Hardline I'm, there. I'm sorry, but yes. the only correct choice for the past five years of Taylor Swift's career is Folklore. Folklore, Folklore is beautiful. Yeah, a beautiful I, album. I think it's incredible. Again, it's one of those sort of lockdown comfort albums that I listen to. Mm. To have Evermore on there instead, it's like, eh, strange. That's bold. Yeah, it's very bold. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of this list, and I imagine this may have been how you felt with the Eels album for Beautiful Freak, a lot of bold sort of claims of this is a debut, this is the high point, this is where they started. Yes. It makes sense. Um, I've not listened to much I can of understand the... it. Mm. I can understand it if you're coming at it from a viewpoint of, you know, we need to represent bands and artists. The debut album is always going to be important, yeah. particularly if, as with Eels, as with Gorillas, that debut album also sold well yes. and introduced yeah. a lot of people to them. Yep, yeah, fine, right, get it. I wonder if part of the problem is that these artists are too new to have, like, the the retrospective yes. kind of... Cause it, if this book was written in the 1970s, do you think that I assume Superfly by Curtis is, Mayfield yes, in is. here? It would yeah. be yeah, it would be weird if it wasn't. But if this was done in the 70s, do you think they would think ah, I'll put the debut Curtis Mayfield album in? But Superfly is just a soundtrack, you know, it's a oh, side yeah. project he did. You don't have the benefit of knowing how that album has yeah. aged and how it's stayed relevant. It's it's one that. Especially, I mean, the last episode we did was on American Dream LCD Sound System's newest album, and that's only been out six years. So obviously, it's it's difficult yeah. to think about the legacy of it. And you know, it, it's a pretty bold claim to say a contemporary take is going to last that long and say that this is the album that mm. will best represent them. Especially since LCD Sound System did a studio session a year later and kind of blew that one out of the water. Um, in in the <laughs> sense of like Curtis Mayfield, I'll throw it back this way: we, we did the Scott Walker episode, Scott Four. If this if this book yeah. was written in the seventies, that just wouldn't be on there because nobody at the time it would just be Scott. It would just be it? Scott. Yeah, and it's rather telling that a lot of the sort of periods, let's say from nineteen ninety to about twenty seventeen, which is like when I've got the book from, it's been updated time and time again. I just don't have new inserts, and I'm not shelling out twenty five quid on a book I already own. Um, a lot of that feels <laughs> to be kind of knee-jerk responses to what was popular at the time. Some of them make sense. Oasis, Blur, yeah. Pulp, Suede, the big four in the UK. Nirvana, for instance, um, has three albums on there. You're not you're not going to let that in utero thing no, go, are you? No, not at all. And I think, but, but what I don't get is that in utero is on there, but Bleach isn't. So it's kind of, obviously, we've got the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and then criticise the book. But there are so many, I mean, CeeLo Green's The Love Machine, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, CeeLo Green's The Love Machine is on the list and it's, I know why he's on the list because when that intro was written no doubt people were listening to um, Forget You, which was major when I was about 13 and since then has dropped off the face of the earth along with its artist Um, Mm. there is always the risk of like a a misfire in in sort of supporting something contemporary but it's kind of easy to see which ones need championing, you know like from the past year or two Way's Blood, um, John Cale's newest album, The Wave with Graham Coxon and uh, Rose on the Dougal. There, there are certain albums that are like you just kind of know. Yeah, Beautiful Freak with Eels. I, I get, I get it. I've, I've listened to a couple of their albums. I get why this was the choice because of that debut aspect, because of the, the, the Shrek bit. Um, but, but it's like you mentioned, it's it's a debut album that sold well. Is it the best 
album yeah. to actually identify with as an Eels fan? Is it the one that's like, this is what Eels are all about? This is the sort of the smorgasbord of this is what you get from Eels. This is everything you can offer. The one that I thought was definitely going to be the choice before I looked yeah. at the book was the album they followed this up Electro with, Shock Electroshock Blues. Yeah. Blues. Because if you're going if you're going by whether the album is important or not, which is not a, a great way no, to really. to choose music to listen to, but in a book like this, it's obviously going to be part of the mix, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that there's a, there's a kind of consensus that Electro Shock Blues is an important album. All of that sort of bleak backstory that Mark Everett has, uh, as it mentioned, his father, he found his father dead when he was a teenager. His mother later died of cancer. His sister died of suicide. Electro Shock Blues is the album which unpacks that most. And it's the album which had most of an audience because like i say i love the new eagles album i think the one they released last year extreme witchcraft is fantastic you know i think a lot of the recent stuff's been very good but they are a cult band now yeah. they are selling albums mainly to people like me who bought beautiful freak and electroshock blues when it came out and that's fine but if you wanted an album that hit square in the center of that venn diagram where you know it's important uh, it was popular, and it's uh, a representative of what the band can do. I would say Electro Shock Blues is, is a far better choice than Beautiful yeah. Freak. And it's, I mean, I, I picked up the book here just to have a look at kind of what Eels was contending with in 1986, and the Divine Comedy's Casanova, Wilco being there. It's, you know, not nothing I've listened to yet, mm. but nothing that's screaming, oh, wow, this is essential. It's just like, you need to listen to this. Um, Andy Cry Superstar by Marilyn Manson's on there. Can't wait for that episode. Possibly wouldn't be if they did a new version. Yes, of that, I wonder right? if that's going to be removed in the 2023 version. Maybe replace <laughs> it with some, I don't know, Sam Fender, stick him on there. I've already replaced him on the previous episode, that'll do. Um, replace, replace it with some Gabby Glitter. <laughs> oh shit, no, that's even worse. Get the what Joker soundtrack on there, lads. Give it a go. Um, but as as far as Beautiful Freak goes, kind of the, you know, the quality of it, I, um, I'm always hesitant with new music. I'm getting to that age now where it's like, I I just stopped listening to new music. I'm pretty sure The Guardian did a study. Someone did a really great feature on people over the age of 25 actively stop seeking out new music. Um, now I'm 23, so I'm close to that age where I'm just going to stop and all I'll listen to is like pulp records and and whatever Morrissey tracks I've got on my phone from Bolt's Fallen Eye. As opposed to now, <laughs> right? As opposed to now when you also just do that. Hey, I I bought Black Country New Road tickets to go and see them. That's new. That's that's new music Fair. and sound. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think there'll be any major change to me when I stop listening to new music. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I, I think I overestimate how much people listen to new music. I mean, I can talk to people about new music, but I think the only reason I listen to it yeah. so much is because I review it. And, you know, I could have quite happily not listened to Gorilla's new record. I could have quite happily not listened to, like, Sam Ryder's new record if I wasn't, you know, morally obliged to yeah. criticise it. Um, so something like Beautiful Freak going back and not having to review it or anything, just listening to it was really fun. Um, I didn't know what Good. to expect from it, I think is the great thing about it. Like I up until I hit the track from Shrek, I had no idea who Eels were. And then it was like <laughs> a literal penny drop moment of like, oh, 
oh yeah, because then they blow up the animals and then they have balloons and then fight with trees and then Fiona <laughs> blows up the bird with a singing, <laughs> which is like, yeah, perfect. Um, but before that, I think Beautiful Freak such a really strong album. Um, like just mm. as a court, you said it was like a kind of a comfort album, like a blanket. Perfect, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so, considering how dark it gets and how sort of grim and bittersweet it is, it's such a, a welcoming album, such a, a really warm feeling. And a lot of that comes from um, the opening track, which is surprising because it's Novocaine for the Soul. It, it It's so just interesting. It's a, It's got a series of quick hooks. You know, it sounds really creepy, almost like the, the opening yes. bit and the... the um, you know, it sounds a bit like a dance hall in the fifties. Those first few moments, and then it starts mm. crackling, and then the kind of jack in the box creepiness comes in, and then it shoots itself into what eels is, and it's such a nice contrast that kind of flickers back and forth in that first track. It's just wonderful, um, and I think that's the big thing for eels with me. It's that sort of, you know, that collection, that the sort warm, of warm sound. sadness yeah. of it. It's lovely. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for all I've criticised the choice of Beautiful Freak as a, as a representative of Eels, um, I listened back to the album and I still love it as much as I did when I was a teenager. Of you know, there's a, there's a few tracks I don't work it. I don't think work. It is slightly ominous that I listened to this record when I was a teenager and when your brain is just soaking in new music, and I still couldn't remember how Manchild went, yeah. which is a bit of a <laughs> problem. But as you say, there's there's some good stuff even there's some stuff that they didn't revisit. I think for all they still do rockier albums. Extreme Witchcraft is a very rocky album. Uh, Soul Jacker and Humbray Lobo are very rocky, but they don't do stuff that sounds as grungy as some of the tracks yeah. on this. Something like Not Ready Yet or uh, Rags to Rust. Uh, a very, very grunge influenced in a way that they didn't go back to. But, you know, as a snapshot of that time, I think it's fine. And there are certainly enough different ideas yeah. on the record to mean that it doesn't sound too dated. Yeah, and that's the key, I think. Key to a lot of these, especially 90s albums, making sure the sound isn't dated is so... It's surprisingly mm. difficult, you know. There's there's so much... Yeah. I, I, get, I don't want to call it filler, but there is a lot of albums out there that are kind of known for the single and that's about it and there's nothing wrong with those albums yeah. i feel like there's plenty of great artists that do that um don't want to mention any more names because i feel like we've criticized a lot of people already but uh, morrissey um but there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot it's johnny Marr. um there's a lot of on here that is pretty broad it's 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 getting a lot of perspectives it's kind of testing the waters for a lot of things i, I feel like rags to riches sorry rags to rags even um really great and especially after doing american dream yesterday it feels like a knock at that sort of inspired oh pull yourself up let's get going type of thing it feels like a knock at that which is i I love stuff like that i really do um but stuff like obviously the title track um and then that kind of i think that's where it hits it it's like okay that's where we're going and then it's not ready yet my beloved monster and it just it hits that groove so well and it just sticks with such consistency Mm. um a lot of it obviously very kind of autobiographical, very self-hating, very kind of angsty. But I think that's the key. Um, this sort of angst and the demeanour of it is genuine rather than something that's pre-built for people to 
inflict on them, you know? Yes, yeah. And I think looking back at some of the reviews when it came out, there are some reviews like the Q Magazine review that you quoted, which are insanely adulatory. Uh, but there are some other ones. I remember NME in particular and Entertainment Weekly both had this kind of air of, well, this is real, yeah. you know, or is this just kind of commercial angst? Is this just sort of singing about sad stuff because making teenagers depressed was very <laughs> lucrative back in the Still 90s? Is. Still is now, of course. I think we went through this long stage where every pop star had to basically give you a pep <laughs> talk and then thank God... Billie Eilish has single-handedly made America sad again, and it's yeah, she great. She took Pharrell Williams as happy as a personal insult, and just thought, "That's it, I'm not <laughs> having this." And has since then created what is possibly the most consistent pop artist music available currently. Yes, yeah, I completely agree. So uh, I think part of the reason why Electroshock Blues hit harder is because suddenly it opened out what Mark Everett's yeah. life has been and where this comes from. But there was certainly, there was a point where you have the band who released the first album to be released on DreamWorks, which was rapidly becoming this massive yeah. media conglomerate and of course led, led to them being on the Shrek soundtrack. Can't overlook that. But they're releasing a song like Guest List, which is all about feeling sort of ugly and like a misfit and, you know, not fitting in among the beautiful people. And a lot of people just went, <laughs> fuck off. You know, that's obviously yeah. not the career you've had. It's, I mean, that's the thing, obviously, the, the insert mentioned that, you know, E had had kind of a, a middling solo career before jumping onto a band. And mm. it's I've not listened to any of his solo stuff. I don't know if you have either, but I haven't really. No, no. It's definitely. I think as the Yules have gone on, they have basically become an e-solo yeah. project anyway. So he's rarely had much cause. Yeah. To so he did two albums it. when he was a solo artist. He did Broken Toy Shop and A Man Called E, um, and then three years mm. later decided Eels was the way to go. Kind of makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, and. Like you said there, I think that's a perfect way of describing it. It's a, an e-solo project with sort of other people attached to it. Um, a lot of bands are starting to feel like that um, more as we look back on mm. them. Um, like, obviously, the, the guitar work here is incredible. Really, really remarkable stuff. Um, yeah. I think it really benefits stuff like Not Ready Yet and My Beloved Monster, obviously, because of just the, the nostalgic feel of it. Um, but it at the core of it is very much the the message brought on by the vocalist um it's mm. it's not to the point where that's overbearing where that is the only thing you're getting from eels is the message or the, the lyrics which are really strong there's um i made a note of one actually on i think it is not ready yet it's uh don't need you telling me how just over and over again it pushes through so well it's, it's stuff like that's great it encapsulates something very real in a very yeah. small space. I think there's. It, it should also be pointed out that as sort of bleak as his albums can be, he is a very fun yeah. writer. You know, the opening lines to Not Ready Yet, uh, there's a whole world out there, and I know because I've heard <laughs> stories, which is It's, it's great. that little tongue-in-cheek twist, but obviously that, that's such a great line, very fun line. And at the same time, it's inflicting on the listener exactly how he feels. It's like, yeah, there's probably something out there. It's the perfect yeah. blend. And, you know, 
I'm not listening to enough of Eels to make a, a sort of statement on where he ranks as a songwriter. But from Beautiful Freak, if you went off Beautiful Freak alone, really, really great songwriter. Really just, I think it's the confidence in that sort of terror, really. That fear, the anxiety, the loneliness. Yeah. And obviously, you know, every band was doing that at the time or was going to do it at the time. You know, you think of how Nirvana got on, um, you know. Yeah. It, it, it was. It's a pretty easy sort of, it's an easy message to fall back on, but it's very difficult to make it genuine or unique or creative. And I feel like Eels yeah. have done that pretty easily. And they've done it by blurring a lot of stuff together. They've got hip hop riffs. They've got sort of chamber pop bits and pieces. They've got, even like trip hop, even there's there's little bits and pieces everywhere. It really works quite nicely. It's it, it's funny that because I remember the the time trip hop got dismissed too easily because uh, I think a lot of bandwagon bands sort of jumped on it really. But people say, oh, it's just dinner party music. But you listen to that now, you put that alongside something like Lana Del Rey or Billie Eilish, and it fits yeah. perfectly. And I think the trip-hop aspects of this on songs like Flower or Your Lucky Day in Hell have aged really yeah. gracefully and it's, as that's well. that's the key, obviously. I mean, not just with aging gracefully on the album, but with what it's associated with, of course, Shrek. Um, yeah. Which has been out, what, 22 yeah. years now? Um, that's mad. Yes, it has, um, somehow. Because obviously, I, yeah. when, I, when Shrek came out, I was one. Um so I'll have been yeah I'll have been seven when the third one came out. Objectively, the best one. I was seven. <laughs> um, okay. And I hate. I, I kind of want to go down this route. It's got a bit to do with eels. But why? Why is it particularly the first three Shrek films? They've got such great soundtracks. They are stunning. They are really well worked. Um, like really putting a lot of their attention into what is playing under the course of the movie. And I think it's yeah. you know my beloved monster playing. It's it's one of those where it's the, the song was established already. It's been used in Shrek, and it kind of gets that second after. You know, it's got the extra burn to it. But it's it's managed to keep its mm. you know again we mentioned earlier Smash Mouth and even the monkeys as well. But the Smash Mouth cover um, are always going to be associated with Shrek. Yeah. Shrek feels associated with eels. Is kind of the the gist of it. Yeah, it's strange that, isn't it? I mean, it can be hard to remember this considering what a behemoth it turned out to be and how we're still getting like sequels to its spin-offs 22 years later. But Shrek was positioned at the start of things as the sort of plucky outsider, you know, where the scrappy, punky, bad-mannered little film that's taking on the Disney machine and disney at that time were in their stage where if there was a soundtrack they had to get phil collins or sting in to you know write a suite of original songs so it makes sense that shrek goes firstly for needle drops and secondly for needle drops that are going to really impress the adults who were taking their kids to this film you wouldn't get john cale in a disney film from the turn (laughs) of the millennium but shrek can do that oh yeah John John Kill doesn't know what he's been missing. <laughs> you know, his new album's great. Get get it on get it on Shrek 4. 
or five. You know, or, or it's not too late for Disney to make up for lost time. The Little Mermaid would sound, I think, a lot better with John Cale's <laughs> horrifying version of Heartbreak Hotel playing over it. <laughs> I want them to assemble whatever's left of Velvet Underground, and I want them to remake <laughs> Toy Story. That's that's all I want. Right, that's it. That's all I want. That's all I need. Uh, that's great. You know who, who's about John Cale, drummer. Okay. Um, yeah, still like Morrison, still yeah, hanging yeah, yeah. in there, isn't she? Yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. Stick them in a the studio, put a padlock on the door, <laughs> and say twelve songs, please, and that's it. That's the only instruction. They can do whatever they want. They won't see the material. Have Either Disney that... ever done an animated film about someone who's made out of glue? Because <laughs> <laughs> it could fit in Bugs Life, probably. You know, yeah, they, it's, it, they look weird enough to work or ants. But yes. Um, Beautiful Freak has that sort of. It'll always have. To... <laughs> it'll always have. Obviously, it, it got released by DreamWorks as well, um, mm. which was, I think it was the same year it was founded. They released Eels as yeah, debut album, yeah. so it was. They were firing off on a lot of cylinders of we're we're new, fresh, exciting. Here's what we've got to offer. Yeah. Um, which you know we we look at how records are released, and it seems like a major risk for. A, like this was the second album DreamWorks had released, which right. was the debut album. The first one was George Michael's Older, um, which is genuinely shocking. That's um, that's immediately very strange bedfellows, isn't it? Like I can yeah. understand launching with a George Michael album, particularly when he was at that stage in his career. Yeah. But you're right, Beautiful Freak is a big risk for the follow-up. They went from releasing a platinum US album with their debut hit number six to Beautiful Freak, which hit number 114. Um, right. Which is, you know, it, it says a lot about the stretch they were on. Pretty much, uh, yeah, nothing hit higher than George Michael apart from No Name Faces Lighthouse got two times platinum. Okay, sure how that right. Um, but yes, it is a very big risk because at the same time as this music was popular, the the messaging of it, the meaning of it, and the sound of it, there's enough here in experimentation to set it out from the label of just another sort of band that does this. And I think that's the crucial thing. Yeah. Is, you know, lots of bands have lots of similarities. One of, one of my pet peeves at the moment is that I'm just sort of relying on, oh, it sounds like this. And it's, okay, it does sound like that, but obviously it's it's not that. Otherwise you yeah. wouldn't be listening to it. Um, and Beautiful Freak does more than enough to... Sort of set itself out really as, as something unique, as something interesting. Um, and I feel like a lot of that survivability and the sort of range that's on offer comes from the lyrics. The the lyrics are just charming and they're well worked. And the lyrics, and yeah. I, I think Mark Everett's voice is really interesting to me because objectively it is a very gruff, kind of growly rock and roll voice, but somehow he makes it sound vulnerable. And I don't quite yes. know how that yeah. works. It's the very low tones, it's the very kind of almost jagged type of approach he takes to his music where it's, mm. you know, I, I can't remember the word for it, but there's a bit on, I think it's Susan's house, or it might be Rags to Rags, where it sounds like it's going through, um, you know, those megaphones police use. That's definitely on Susan's house. Susan's yes. house, yeah. Susan's house is such a a clear autobiographical piece. You could have written that about, you know, where I'm from, you know, yes, lady yeah. broken bottles and stuff. And it's it's the picture he paints on all of these songs that's 
you know, it, it's the nice line between a really unique vision, but also very comfortable lyrics that are very connected, very approachable, but are very deeply personal. And I think that's yeah. what's missing with sort of albums of this variety now, is that the connotations are there, the imagery's there, but not the personal experience, not something that somebody can connect to. Um, yeah, and I think part of that is because there isn't really the record label infrastructure to poach people from indie labels. It's very stratified now, which is that either you were a major label artist who people are giving a big push to, or you're on your own. Sorry. (laughs) Um, You know, there's there's not really... the, The record labels are not making enough money to do something like taking a solo artist who'd had two mildly successful albums, one of which was called Broken Toy Shop, which doesn't inspire immediate confidence, and just saying, you know what, we're going to put that guy opposite George Michael on our (laughs) roster. Why not? The 90s were the last time that record labels had that kind of ill-advised imperial power. I think, yeah, I mean, it's we're seeing it in kind of like very safe strokes this year. Obviously, Chris mm. Moyles said, "Any any any artist not signed to a label, don't bother." Crap. Which is and he no because he's put out an album, so <laughs> yeah, it, it must oh, be great. I forgot about that. But I it's... bet it's dead good because <laughs> it's because it's because it was signed. It, it was, wouldn't it be signed yeah. if it, it wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah, I can't name one album that was by a signed artist that was bad. Not there's none. They're all. It's good. never happened never in happens. the history of recorded music. Never. Yeah, that Morrissey album was just a, a blip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to specify which one. I think everybody knows. They can just select. Also, because it could be about eight of them at this stage, <laughs> couldn't it? Like I hung on to Morrissey for far longer than was advisable. But yeah. I remember about ten years ago. I was listening to that album that had, was it the one that had I'm throwing my arms around Paris and thinking (laughs) there must actually be a good song on here because it's the new Morrissey album. I'll just have to keep listening until I find out what the fuck it is. Was it um, Years of Refusal where he's got the cover and it's him with his shirt down there and he's holding a baby? (laughs) I think it was the one after that actually. I might be wrong. There was one after that where I could find like one good song on it and it was in the bonus tracks and the album itself was just dismal. I love how, not to go off on too big a tangent, he's announced two albums and he can't release them. <laughs> <laughs> he's he said, oh yeah, Bonfire of the Teenagers, uh, without music the world dies, but they're both ready to go. And everybody's just gone, okay, right? Okay, yeah. What do you want us to do yourself. about that? <laughs> the, the, you know, they appear to have lost faith after I'm not a dog on a chain. I wonder why that is. Turns out when you release what 12, 11 tracks and one of the songs is The Secret of Music, nobody wants to hear from you anymore. Yes. Um, And that's the thing. I think it's, you know, (laughs) just to go back to that unsigned sign thing, we're seeing that quite recently as well with the sort of contemporary artists that I do want to put on the list, but not yet. I'm going to wait for the sort of the battlements to be torn down over Wet Leg now. Um, Who from over the past eight months of their release have seen absolutely massive success and then halfway through everybody did a 180 and thought, no, it's bad, it's been nominated for a Brit Award, how can this be good? Um, <laughs> it just solely on the grounds of Chase Launch has played a bit too much. Um, it's been a, a strange, strange time, especially when the B-side's lovely. 
an old struggle, right, yeah. isn't it? I mean, the internet has exacerbated the fact that people cannot tell the difference between something that's bad and something they're sick of hearing about. Yeah. But it it has always happened that as soon as people get above a certain level of success, the knives come out. And again, that was part of the thing with Eels yes. releasing yeah. on, on DreamWorks. People didn't believe that this band were any kind of outsiders because they had such a luxurious platform. Do you think this album, obviously it's their first album and you know a lot more about Eels than I do, do you think this is the album that cements them as something different or does that come a little later on? Um... I think it's it, it's Electroshock Blues really puts the capper on it. I wouldn't object to someone saying, you know, this immediately announces them as something great because I think there are many wonderful songs here. Yeah. But it's when you get to Electroshock Blues and you hear the familiar parts of Beautiful Freak, the sort of trip-hoppy beats, the guitar with the capel put really high up so it sounds almost like a toy instrument, the sudden bursts of noise and distortion, you hear that applied to subject matter that most bands would just either run a mile from or just express very badly. Yeah. And you think, oh, right, this is a band who I'm still going to be listening to in 25 years' time. And it turns out I am. But nobody is listening to CeeLo Green eight years from now. So (laughs) I feel like, again, not not to knock the list too much, because what you've said there is spot on. It's everybody eventually, yeah, pull out the knives, turn on somebody. Mm. Eels have always had that kind of disconnect, you know? that disconnect from what is popular. You don't get popular by releasing an album with the front cover is a bug-eyed girl with huge eyes and then follow it up with something that looks like David Bowie's The Snowman with little, like, drawings and a little moon. (laughs) And it's, you know, I I feel like we we always talk about how important album covers are on here, which is probably my favourite part because album covers are wonderful. I'll tell you what, I'll grab this from behind me because I've had this on recently. That is probably one of my favourite album covers. Beautiful. It's Wonderful. good. If you get the reference, it's good. And if you don't, it still looks great. Would you, right? would you like to entertain the reference? Would you like to tell listeners at home what it is? It's uh, it's the third LCD sound system, isn't it? This it is, is happening. Yes. Um, and the reference is that James Murphy is lying on the floor in a similar position to how uh, David Bowie's lying on the floor on the cover of Lodger. Yeah, it's wonderful. Because I, I genuinely flipped that album over the first time there and I saw his feet. I didn't know that was there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but obviously, speaking of Eels' album covers, this one's horrifying. It just is. It is very creepy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And obviously, you know, I I think I'm better for it now, but I, I scare really easily. I get creeped out by stuff, you know, like the backroom stuff yeah. really freaks me out. Like, I know it's, I know it's not real. I, I know that. But just the yeah. sort of the everyday that comes from it. It's like, yeah, it's just something's weird about it. I don't know. I get it makes sense, beautiful freak, haha, very good, yes. But I don't want to look at the Coraline woman while I'm listening <laughs> to I don't need that. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of, also a bit of an outlier, maybe in terms of Eel's uh, later album covers, in that it is so obviously computer generated. I mean, it's <laughs> computer edited, yeah. I suppose I should say. Um, it's a real photo that's been yeah. tweaked within like early Photoshop, and that's not something they went back to. The rest of the album art that they do tends to be either of the camp of we found this ancient old kitsch illustration in a junk shop, 
or we've got some really hip cartoonist from the New Yorker to do the front of this. And it's very analog, it's very handmade. And that, I think, fits with the music a bit better than this image, which is not bad, but it is more dated, I think, than the music it contains. Yes, and I think, you know, everybody sort of, I know know the term don't judge a book by its cover exists, but everybody does. It's just a matter Mm, matter of fact. If you looked at that and thought, I'm going to have a, a brilliant experience with music, you'd, you'd be forgiven for not thinking so if you looked at just the cover. Mm. Um, but I mean, I guess that leans into the legacy of this. Obviously, it's a bit early to suggest what Eels' impact is on the sort of culture and surface of music as a genre and all those lovely bits and pieces. But it's kind of clear to see the etch marks of it, these sort of startings of it. And it's it's one of those decisions that makes... Sorry, I'm getting blinded by the sun again. This happened yesterday. It's very bright, it's, isn't it? Isn't it? Other people would maybe move their chair, mm. uh, but I'm, I'm glad that you're sticking by this for some reason. Because, uh, I, I don't know, I think I might put sunglasses on, you know, break those out again. That's right, yeah. You just want an excuse to wear your sunglasses indoors. Yeah, because I is, think I'm it? Leonard Cohen, so... <laughs> I'll get the. I don't know if I've picked up the right ones. I, pick, I think I've picked up the wrong ones. I've got a really big head, um, and <laughs> I, I yeah, I've picked up the ones that I managed to stretch the lenses and the frames so wide that they now like wobble on my head. Right, because my head's that big. There we go. All right, so lovely, very cool. I feel like I'm about to sign eels to a DreamWorks record label and say, you must give us half <laughs> of your songs to put on the stretch. Soundtrack. Yeah, next you're gonna pull the cigar out, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> I wish. This is why I should keep breadsticks on my desk so I can like mimic a cigar. <laughs> but no, I'm afraid all I've got is 40 cents in euros and a token for an arcade that I nicked. Um, now I can't read my notes. Um, yes, so as far as the legacy goes for eels, um, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> it, as far as the legacy goes for eels, well... The thing about Eels is they've, they've, like I say, they've been a fans-only band for a while. Uh, I think part of it is because they've been releasing albums regularly for so long. You know, there is a new Eels album out every other year with very few exceptions. That's what surprised me, how consistent they are. Yeah, but people grow blasé about that, you know. They get too used to having them. And I also think Pitchfork has a slightly outsized influence on... Uh, indie and alternative yes. rock fandom at the moment and they have it as part of their style guide that no Eels album can ever be given a positive review for some reason uh, but I think once that fades I think they will end up being one of those bands in the same category as someone like the Mountain Goats or Spoon Ooh. where yeah. They're never going to have a massive breakout hit at this point, but they will become a band who were beloved for this incredible consistency. Yeah, and just kind of to wrap it up here, do you think that's more important now to have that sort of core group after your sort of big wave of success? Because, you know, I, it, it's an inane comparison, but it's the one that always springs to mind when I talk about musicians who were huge and are now kind of just still very popular but we'll never have that mm. success again, is Weezer, who obviously did the Blue yeah. Album, were huge, and then kind of just are, are working because they enjoy it. Do you think that's the case for Eels now? They're working still because they enjoy it, they enjoy that connection with their fans. It never, you know... Yeah, they're, definitely. They're not going to get a number one anytime soon. Sorry. Mm. They're not going to get a number one anytime soon. But 
no, but it's it's true, and it goes back to that old Stuart Lee principle, doesn't it, of saying, you know, you can be a big artist, but it means surrounding yourself with people who will rip you off. Yeah. So, in truth, you're probably doing less well than you would be if you had a solid regular audience of about 10,000 yeah really committed fans who will come out and see you no matter what and who will keep you going when you're unfashionable i think there is a there's certainly a level of truth to that in the music industry now i mean you couldn't launch a band like eels now because like say that music apparatus that is designed to pick some weirdo alternative rock outfit up and give them a massive worldwide push doesn't really exist, but it'll still do exist. And I think, you know, there there will come a time looking back when people will say, wow, that's that's a great body of work. And I, I should point out, actually, mm. before we do end, for all I've criticised the choice of this, I do not object oh. to someone making this their Eels gateway. I think that, you know, as, as much as I'd rather have blinking lights and other revelations or electroshock blues in there, I understand that those are very daunting to kick off with. So if you do just want an eel's taster to see whether this band are your thing, yeah, fine, go yeah. for it. Beautiful Freak's a good place to it's start. The taster sessions, isn't it? I mean, one of the very earliest uh, episodes I did was Arctic Monkeys, and they've only got one album on the list. If it were up mm. to me and me alone, I'd have thrown Tranquility Bass on there because that's objectively their best album. Um, nobody wants to hear that. You know, you'll you'll be, you'll be beaten <laughs> with a mallet if you say that in public. Um, in the future, it might yeah. be though, because that's that's a divisive item, and Scoffall was a divisive item, and that's the thing when you're making judgments on a recent band, you don't have time to say, all right, this split people at the time, but in the long run, I think we can find that the people who said this were right, because there hasn't been a long run Yeah, exactly that. So essentially, this podcast gives us a base to be the Pauline Kale of music. Um, It does very well for our ego. In 20 years' time, when the podcast has ended, um, we can look back and say, we were the ones that championed Eels' sold-out world tour hitting arenas everywhere yes um i don't think that there would have been that statue put up of the cover of blinking lights and other revelations without us no we we, we've done a lot of good for a lot of people (laughs) um and speaking of a lot of good (laughs) what's the best track on this album What, what what would you say i mean it's interesting. When I listened back to it, I did find the grungy tracks really exciting, uh, which I wasn't expecting, because like I say, they are both the most 90s and the most at odds with how Wheels yeah. developed. But I do like Flower very much. I think the title track is lovely, but I think I'm going to go for Mental, Ooh, okay. because it's got that kind of texture that disappeared at the turn of the millennium where you've got a big hard rock song that still has all of these weird kitschy analog synths over it by the late 90s there were whole bands like tiger and bis who existed purely to do this and then suddenly it vanished and i think it sounds great bring it back they should, they should. i think it, looking at the obviously i don't want to get in trouble with italy again main skin's new album not good right um, i felt the same sort of pitchfork on that one um 
I had a real weird slate of Twitter users messaging me, um, saying I was questioning the band's abilities. It's like, yes, that that was the point. Um, <laughs> so, what, what what did you expect? Um, uh, and one of them just said I was an outright liar, which is a bold move. Um, as far as eels go, um, I really like Not Ready Yet, because for me, that's kind of the... I had to stop myself from picking, oh, the Shrek song, but Not Ready Yet for me is that perfect sort of contrast that eels bring. There's a real shaky guitar, yeah. that real heavy reverb, and it just sounds so fragmented and really sort of not gentle, but it feels like it could collapse at any moment. It feels very fragile and awkward in places. And it's contrast with such really confident vocals and a real confidence in the abilities. And I think that's the key. I think the key to sort of the indie rock that wants to appeal to people that are, you know, wanting to have main character syndrome is that the playing and the <laughs> vocals need to be confident and personal. And that is when yeah. an artist can say, this is for you, and you can inflict your personality on that. It can't be the other way around. And I think Eels understand that so well of, this is our feelings, this is what we want to present as a band. If it connects with people, fantastic. That is the aim. If people find themselves in that song, that's a bonus. And I feel like there's an integrity to that in Eels that isn't elsewhere, especially not at the time. It's one of the paradoxes of art, I think, that if you want to make something that other people really relate to, you have to do something that is very, very specific yeah. because you want people to click with it on that level of saying, I thought I was the only person who that had happened to. And you can't do that when you're dealing with generalities. Absolutely. And suppose it's we, we kind of answered this question and I forgot to ask it last episode, so I'm doing it now to put in muscle memory. Um, okay. Any replacement album? <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, in in a dream world, I would say Blinking Lights and other revelations, uh, because I I listened to that again. That was why I went yeah. through this sort of eels phase, and I was just that's a whole double album, and it's a proper double album. It's ninety minutes long. It's not oh, one yeah. of those ones where it's a single album spread out so they can say, "Look at us, we've yeah. done a double album." Uh, but the consistency of the songwriting is so high. By that stage, the piano songs, the ones where it's just him and a piano, are spectacularly beautiful. Stuff like Ugly Love and Suicide Life, really gorgeous songs. For me, it's my personal favourite Eels album. But again, if you're writing this for a general audience, you don't tell people to start off with the 90 minute Well, to album. be fair, though, and I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll strike a trade agreement with you. Um Okay. CeeLo Green's The Love Machine is probably going to be booted off the list. I will reserve that empty spot for this Eels album. <laughs> because to be yes, fair, it's, fine. Th there are some hefty albums on there. And I think the most odd choice of all of them is Sandinista by The Clash is on there, which is... A, Not no, many people's pick of a Clash especially album. Especially when they're yeah. emitting combat rock in place of Sandinista, which is odd yeah but it's it's one of the many foibles of the book you know this is what happens when you get 90 odd people to collaborate and write and say this is why it deserves to be on here instead of a dictator like me yeah. saying yes or no regardless of what the guest says <laughs> um yeah it's a it's a fantastic album it really is it was um it was a really nice surprise and i feel like i get stuck in ruts where i'm not expecting anything from music and to have something like eels just kind of spring up out of the blue was just delightful it really was so thank you very much for Oh, well, that's wonderful. On. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, they, 
they are one of those bands that I do with Angelize yeah. for, and it's it's lovely oh, yeah. when that works. It's, I'm certainly of the evangelical sort of side on eels now. I'm happy to sort of stand in the good. streets next to the people that are preaching about religion, saying, "Have you heard Beautiful Freak yet, lads? It's really good." <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than on the streets yelling about eels, where where else can people find you? Socials and all the good stuff where we plug our work because that's that's the whole purpose of podcasting. I'm going to take the sunglasses off now. The sun seems well, to have gone in. No one hasn't. Just stare at the sun. <laughs> <laughs> well, while Ewan refers his eyes, uh, my main podcast gig is Pop Screen, the geek show podcast which covers pop stars in the movies that Ewan has guested on many a time. Uh, I also write for The Geek Show, for Byline Times, We Are Cult, for Horrified, the British horror website, which is uh, currently working through its 50 greatest British Ooh. horror movies, which is a great poll. Really Theatre of Blood better there. be on there? I think Theatre of Blood... No, I don't. they haven't released the whole thing yet. I bet Theatre of Blood will be on there. The Company of yes. Wolves is on there, Perfect. which is my favourite, yeah. so I'm happy with that. Um... But yeah, I'm there, and you can find me on Letterboxd. Just search for Graham Williamson, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Graham W. Phil. Perfect. And as ever, you can find me in the usual places, um, Cult Following, which got a lovely revamp. You can go and click on that and see that there's more adverts. Please click on those, as that's the only ad revenue I get. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, usual places. The Weird Stuff for Daily Star. Um, the uh, What else is there? I don't really write for many places now. I've kind of siphoned off everything in my own website. Um, go and follow this podcast on Twitter and all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Twitter. Fucking Twitter as well. You and Gledo. E-W-A-N-G-L-E-A-D-O-W. <laughs> Twitter and Letterbox is both of those. Go and give us a follow on there because occasionally I don't retweet my work and sometimes I'll, I'll put out a funny thought once a month, which is about the, about the best it gets. Um, suppose we'll end it there <laughs> after I've watched pretty much all parts of my work today. I feel like I don't know which order yep. words go in anymore because my brain is fried. Like I'm literally, literally by yeah, the sun. I'm like, yes. You know, what was that Richard Hawley song? Don't stare at the sun. I've made a grave error and I've not listened to him. Um, yeah. I've gone... <laughs> yeah. I bet Richard Hawley wrote that and he thought I shouldn't need to tell people this. But <laughs> it just was, in no, case. When I interviewed him, he said to me, the first thing he ever said to me was, don't 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 look at the sun. I can see it. Don't look at it. He didn't actually say that. He said hello. But you know, I like to think he would have said that if he'd known <laughs> I'd blinded myself today. Um suppose we'll we'll end it there. Yeah. <laughs>